time, okay? God is good. Do you believe it? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Um, I know some of you guys say that confidently. Some of you guys maybe are here this morning and, and there's a little bit of doubt in your mind, in your heart, about whether God is good right now, today. And because uh, that's the thing, you know, Matthew wrote this book that we're looking at in order to introduce us to Jesus and in, in order to encourage us to believe in him. But the challenge is that it's not always that easy to believe. And there are moments in life where it's a lot easier to doubt and have questions. And, and as we look at the passage today, we're looking at Matthew 11, verse 2 to 15, we are um, presented with a man who has questions, maybe who has come to a place of doubting in his own life, and it, it might be surprising to some of you. So listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 11, starting in verse 2 and going to verse 15. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, that's John the Baptist, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, um, that you would give us ears to hear. We offer you our heart. We offer you our life, Father. We pray that you would speak what is true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to see somebody who seemed to be invincible, so he, who seemed to be just incredibly strong, all of a sudden weak and uncertain. It's hard to watch that kind of transition if you ever see it. I remember last, uh, I think it was last summer. Was, la was last summer the Olympics, the Summer Olympics? I think it was last summer. I'm losing track of time. 
Um, but I remember, you remember Simone Biles, you guys all know who Simone Biles is, who's the, you know, she has dominated the world of gymnastics over the past several years. I mean, she is so good, everybody refers to her as the greatest of all time. She is so good that, that the things that she was doing in gymnastics, like the, the scoring system was having trouble keeping up with her because she was doing new, incredible things. And, and even if she, if she failed at doing the things that she could do, that was better than the best anybody else could do. So as, she, as, she, as they went to the Olympics, as she went to the Olympics, everybody was expecting her to just destroy everybody else. It wasn't even going to be a contest. The only question was who's going to get second place. And then the Olympics started, and, and I can't remember if it was just, they were just warming up or it was the first vault, but she, she, goes, she does a vault, and she, it, it's like very uncharacteristic. Like she, she kind of loses her place in the air and then kind of lands awkwardly, and then she tries again. And then like they zoom in on her face, and there's just complete uncertainty, complete doubt. Like everything that she thought she knew about herself, every, like she was like a machine, you know? She always just, just did everything perfectly. And then all of a sudden, there's this, this incredible doubt. And it's just like, you know, sad to watch. It was hard to watch. It was uncomfortable to watch, if any of you guys saw that. In this passage, we see a man who was strong. John the Baptist, if you remember back in Matthew 3, what was John the Baptist doing? He was out in the wilderness and he was preaching. He was proclaiming the news of the kingdom. He was, he was crying out to everyone, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was announcing the judgment of God and he was like, there was nobody that could stand up against him. Like he didn't care what anybody else had to say. And then he saw Jesus, right? And in the other gospels, uh, he actually says, look, the lamb of God, there he is who takes away the sins of the world. In Matthew, he, he, he sees Jesus. He's like, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This is the man who's going to baptize you with fire. You remember that? It's like, I only baptize with water. This guy's going to baptize with fire. And he sees Jesus, and, and, he, and he baptizes Jesus. He sees the, the, dev, the dove, the Holy Spirit, come down upon Jesus. He hears God's voice say, this is my son. I mean, John the Baptist was, was a man of conviction a man who had you know, seen incredible things. And now, in chapter 11, we see him again, and he's in prison. He's in prison, and he seems to be questioning everything now as he sends his disciples to see Jesus. And he sends, him to, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus what? Are you the one who was supposed to come? Or should we expect somebody else? It seems to be like he's like... Jesus, I know I said that you were going to baptize everybody with fire, but now I'm kind of having second thoughts. Is it really true? You know, he's, he's wondering. He had to been wondering as he sat in that, that prison cell, you know, did everything I based my life on, was it, was it right? Did I have it all figured out? Did I understand what God was really doing? He seems to be, if not full of doubt, at least facing some doubt and some uncertainty. And, I, you know, as I read this, I'm encouraged because if John the Baptist can struggle with questions and can struggle with doubt, then, you know, it means that I can too. It means that it's actually maybe, you know, kind of normal to wonder, to question maybe what you think you know is true. Um, and maybe it's something that we should expect as we live our lives. If, if you're not struggling with doubt right now in some way or shape or form, that you should plan to at some point. 
Um, I, I see, before I get in the outline, I, I see two reasons for John's doubt, two potential reasons for John's doubt that I think maybe cause us to doubt a lot of times. One is suffering. You know, John is, is in prison now. He was out in the wilderness before. He had his freedom. He was proclaiming the, the, the news of the kingdom, and now he's been arrested. He's in prison, and he's facing potentially his own death. He's suffering. And we can understand, when, when, when you're suffering, sometimes you start to question what you thought. I think that's true for all of us. When we suffer, when we are experiencing pain, when we have lost something, it, it, it's natural for us to be tempted to wonder, to doubt if God is really there, to doubt if God really cares, to doubt if what we really thought was true about God is. Suffering can do that to us. I think that another, another thing that may be causing John to doubt is that Jesus isn't exactly what he thought he was going to be. You know, remember John was, was preaching repentance. And if you remember, he was like, you know, the axe is at the, at the root of the tree. God is ready to judge. He's going to come and bring his wrath upon all those who've turned against him. And now he's hearing about the deeds of the Christ. He's hearing about Jesus. And, and he's not hearing a lot about God's judgment and wrath at this point, right? He's hearing about Jesus being really compassionate and hanging out with sinners and, and you know, eating with sinners and just doing works of, of beauty and kindness, right? And so John might be thinking, well, I was expecting something a little different. I, I, is, is he really the one that was supposed to come? And I think that can happen for us too. When, when things don't go the way that we think they should be going, when my life is harder than I thought it was going to be, when um, you know, I pray and God's not answering my prayers the way that I think he should, that can be a, a moment where I'm tempted to doubt, to question. Again, does God really love me? Is he really real? Is he, is he actually working in my life? And so in the midst of all of our potential doubt or potential questions, whether you're here this morning, maybe you're, you're, you're struggling and you're doubting, maybe you are, maybe you're wondering even, you know, if God is even real. Um, maybe you're not, but, but you should expect to, to at some point wonder if God really cares. In the midst of all that, Jesus gives us a prescription. What should we do in the midst of our uncertainty? How should we respond to it? In order, to, um, in order to live out life in the kingdom, life of faith. Well, the first thing he encourages the disciples to go back and tell John, he says, well, you, what you need to do is you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on the person of Jesus. That's the first thing you need to focus on. You know, Jesus, when, when the guys come and ask Jesus, you know, are, are you the one that was to come or, or is, is somebody else coming? What does Jesus do? He doesn't start going, like give, giving a really long proof for why he is the son of God. What does he say to them? He says, go in verse four, go and tell John what you hear and see. Just look at me. Look at what I've been doing. Go and tell John what you see and hear. Just fix your eyes on me. And then he gives this list, right? The blind receive their sight 
The lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Look at me. Look at what I've been doing, how I've been demonstrating my power and love and compassion. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. Look at how the poor have been having the the good news proclaimed to them, giving them hope, a reason to rejoice. Look at me. Look at how I've been loving people. Look at me. Just fix your eyes on me, John, and you'll be okay in the midst of your doubt and uncertainty. Look at me. It's that simple. There are a lot of hard questions that we might have as we work through our own doubt in life. Um, There are a lot of hard questions. How, How did all of this even come to be? How did everything come to be? Why is there pain and evil in the world? Why do horrible, horrible things happen to people that, that you know, don't look like they've done anything really awful? You know, there, there's, there's really some difficult questions. As, as we read the Bible, there's some places where it's really hard to understand. As, as we look at the way God acts throughout history, it's hard to understand him. We're like, why does he do that? God is hard to understand. And there, there's a lot of reasons to kind of have, have a lot of questions that we're probably not going to ever get airtight answers to. And Jesus says, in the midst of all of your questions, if you'll just fix your eyes on me, you'll be okay. If you fix your eyes on me in the way that, that I show who God is by the things that I say, by the way that I treat people, by the power that you see working through me, just look at me. That's the best place to start in the midst of your doubt. Look at Jesus. Can you picture a scene where there's a a child, maybe, in a second-story window of a building that is on fire? And the child's mom has gotten out of the building thinking that the child was out, but no, the child's still in there. And the child's in the window, and the the house is on fire. There's smoke coming out of the window and everything. The fire fire truck has come, and they raise the the, the ladder up to the window, and they think that the child will maybe be more likely to come to the mom. So the mom goes up the ladder. And the mom's like, come on, jump to me, jump to me. And the child looks around, they look, they look at the fire, they look at the, the you know, two-story drop, the darkness around them, and, and the child's like, no way, I can't do it. All sorts of uncertainty, but the, but the mom says, just look at me, look me in the eyes, just focus on me, fix your eyes on me, and you'll be okay. That is where the child gets the strength to believe and to jump. And I think in the midst of all of the questions that we might be faced with, if we will just return to fixing our eyes on the person of Jesus, we will be okay. We will be okay. But how is it that we can even know? How can we know that, that Jesus really is who he says he was? How can we know that God is really real? Well, I think that's why it's important to do what I think Jesus kind of encourages us to do. It's, I think it's implied here. But I think it's important for us now to not just fix our eyes on the person of Jesus, but to focus on what we have that John didn't have. Focus on what we have that John didn't have. Okay? After the, John's disciples leave, in verse 7, Jesus starts to talk about John. Lest anybody think less of John because of his question, Jesus really starts to, you know, uh, 
brag about who John was, right? Who did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out, some, did you go out to see some wishy-washy guy who was like blown around by the wind? You know, did you go out to see a, a reed shaken by the wind? No! John was as strong as they come, as resilient as they come, a man of, con- of deep conviction, right? Who did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, the guys dressed in soft clothing, they're all in king's palaces. John wasn't a guy who hung out in a king's palace. He wasn't a guy who just did whatever kings wanted him to do. He stood up to kings. That's how courageous John was. He didn't just say what the kings wanted him him to say, no. He was brutally honest with them, no matter what it might cost him. This is the sort of guy John was, right? He says, John, not only those things, but John was actually a prophet, right? A man chosen by God to be used by God, that God would speak through. But he wasn't even just a normal, ordinary prophet. As if any prophet is ordinary, he was an exceptional prophet. He was a prophet above all other prophets because his role was to come and prepare the way for God himself to come. That is who John was. And so he was more special than anybody else. Right? He says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is high praise. That's high praise. But then what does he say right after that? This is, blows my mind. He says, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, as incredible as John the Baptist was, you're greater than he is, than he was. Every single one of you who counts yourself a member of the kingdom of God, you are greater than John the Baptist. How can that possibly be? After all of these incredible things that Jesus said about John, how can we be greater than him? And the only way that I can figure it is, you know, think about what, what is it that I have that he didn't? You know, John was looking forward to the promise of the Messiah, of the one who would come and would rescue his people and save his people, right? And that's what he proclaimed, the coming of the kingdom. He proclaimed the coming of Jesus. But then John died, he was killed. What didn't John get to see? He didn't get to see the cross. He didn't get to see the resurrection. These events that are at the center of all history The death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. As much as John, as much information as John was given to look forward of what God had promised to do, all he had to look forward to was this just kind of vague idea of what might happen. You see even here, like he's he's not sure. And that's not saying that John isn't in heaven, that John isn't saved because John, just like every other Old Testament person of faith, is saved by looking forward to this promise of of what God would do in the future, but they didn't have this clear picture of what God would do. And that is what we have, as we are able to look back and see what God has done to accomplish our salvation. We are able to look back and see that God loves me so much that his son died on the cross to pay for my sin. I can see that fact in history to know that I am loved by God. And, and, you know, if I'm wondering about whether God is real or not, I can look at the empty tomb. Jesus didn't say dead. He rose from the dead, which we're going to be celebrating in a few weeks at Easter. He rose from the dead. 
there is real, credible reasons to, to actually recognize that, that Jesus, this isn't just a story, this isn't just a myth, a fairy tale. Jesus actually walked out of the tomb. And because of that, we can know that everything that Jesus claimed is true. We can look at these historical facts and know that God is real. We can look at these historical facts and know that God loves us. We can know that his power is real to work in our own lives. To triumph over death and everything else that's broken in this world. That is where we need to, what we need to do. We need to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus and then we need to focus on the resurrection and on the cross. If we're having doubts, if we're struggling to believe, that is where we need to go. As I said before, there's going to be all sorts of questions. You can continue to come up with question after question and never get an airtight answer to them. But you can look at the empty tomb. And if it was really empty, you have to deal with Jesus. And and decide whether you're really going to surrender to him or not. Whether you're really going to trust him or not. Whether you're really going to believe that he is enough or not. Lastly, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our uncertainty, um, I think the last thing that this passage encourages us to do, that Jesus encourages us to do, is to know that we have to fight. Now, you might have to take this one with a grain of salt a little bit, because I'm, I'm looking at this verse. If you look at verse uh, 12, this verse is hard to understand. A lot of people have tried to understand this verse and, and there's a lot of different opinions about what this verse means. He says, Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. What is he talking about? What does he mean? Um, there, there's several different commentators. You know, every commentator you read will say, well, there's different views on this, you know, I'm, I, and, and kind of give you your, your, their perspective on it. And so I'll give you my perspective on it, and uh, you can just ask the Holy Spirit to help you figure it out. But hopefully I'll, I'll flesh it out a little bit more with other things in this passage. Um, it's easy to understand the first part. It says, from the, even, even in different translations of the Bible, they will translate this slightly differently. But the first part seems easy to me. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, right? Um, this means that, that as, as people proclaim the kingdom of heaven, as John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, what happened? He faced opposition. He faced violent opposition. He was arrested. He was put in prison. Eventually, he will be beheaded. So you can see how the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. As you look at Jesus' life, you see the kingdom of heaven suffering violence. As you see him hanging on a cross, it's pretty obvious that the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, Right? But then it has the second, second part where it says, and the violent take it by force. And this seems to suggest something on the more positive end of things, that, that those who enter the kingdom of heaven enter it somehow by violence. They enter it somehow by force. They enter it somehow by, by fighting, if you will. And that's what I, I'm, I'm pointing out here. Um, to enter the kingdom of heaven... Um, you don't just fall into the kingdom of heaven. You don't just wander into the kingdom of heaven accidentally. It takes force, it takes effort, it takes fighting. What do I mean by that? Well, 
let me flesh it out this way. There, there are three things Jesus says in here. Um, one of them is in verse six. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, right? He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Um, Jesus was regularly offending people. Regularly offending people. Why was he offending people? Because as he came into the world, as the rightful ruler of the world, he was constantly coming into conflict with, with sinners, with people who were committed to, to their own kingdoms rather than Jesus' kingdom. Uh, they were committed to building their own kingdoms, protecting their own kingdoms. And everything that Jesus said, you know, came into conflict with that, and so they were offended by that. That's why Jesus offended people. It's because, and Jesus continues to offend, offend people. If, if you really listen to what he says, you will be offended by him because at heart, your sin causes you to live for your kingdom primarily, to try to build your kingdom, to, look, to, to want to look out for yourself first before others, to protect yourself before others, to um, seek to have your needs met, to, seek to, to hope others will meet your needs rather than seeking to meet theirs. And, and Jesus comes and he says, no, to be a member of the kingdom means to live a life of sacrifice, to live a life of service, to live a life of surrender, to live a life of, of radical other-centeredness rather than self-centeredness. And so in order to enter the kingdom, one of the things that we have to do is we need, we need to fight through our own tendency to be offended we need to be willing to let Jesus offend us. And, and then listen to verse six. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We need to surrender to what he says rather than fight him, right? And so we need, when I'm talking about the fighting into the kingdom, it's, it's a fight. It's not a physical fight. It's not an external fight. It's a fight in our own hearts that we need to work through, right? So we need to work to fight not to be offended, um, Secondly, we need, to, we need to fight to accept what God says. In verse 14, 13 and 14, he says, For all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. See, one of the prophets back in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, he was the last prophet to, to prophesy before the New Testament, about 400 years before the New Testament, before Jesus came. And one of the things in Malachi, he, he prophesied that, that someone would come to prepare the way for the day of the Lord. Someone would come before the coming of the Messiah. That, that, that person would be Elijah. You know, Elijah was, was like the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And Malachi said, Elijah's gonna come. And so now, John the Baptist has come to announce the coming of Jesus, right? But now John the Baptist is in prison and, and he's, uh, he, again, he's, he's rendered powerless. And... Uh, and so people might have been wondering, you know, well, well, on the face of it, as we look at the evidence, I mean, John the Baptist doesn't really look like much of an Elijah at this point. But Jesus said, well, if you're willing to accept it, you need, you need to be willing to accept God's word for what it is. John the Baptist is Elijah. He is the one to come to prepare the way for me. And, and simply what I want to point out here is, is as we live our lives and look around us at the circumstances of our lives, if we look around us at the evidence of our lives, a lot of times it's hard to believe the things that God says. It's hard to believe. When, I, when, my, when everything happens, as, as I live my day, when everything goes wrong that could possibly go wrong, 
it's hard to believe God at his word when he says, all things work together for good, for those who are loved by God, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? When something catastrophic happens in my life, it's really hard to believe that. And what I need to do is I need to fight to accept God at his word. Even though when I look around me, it, it, it's hard to believe, right? When I am experiencing pain and my life is not going the way that I want it to, it's hard to believe that God loves me, that he cares, and I need to accept him at his word, that he, he knows and he cares and he loves me, right? And so we need to fight through the circumstances, through the evidence that I look, as I look around me, and I need to, to learn to accept what he says in his word, okay? But lastly, um, we need to fight to be able to hear, and, and this is where I want to focus on the last verse, um, the last, verse 15. Jesus finishes this section where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why does Jesus end this way? He, he often says that. You ever notice Jesus saying, he who has ears, let him hear? He often says that at the end of when, when he tells a parable. Um, a lot of times he says that to acknowledge the reality that, that what he's saying is probably not going to be understood by a lot of people. Um, I think he also says that to encourage people to be like, well, I, I want to know more. I want to I have ears. I want to I understand what you're saying, Jesus. But at the bottom of, of it all, I think what, when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, what he's acknowledging is God's sovereignty. That the only way that we, any of us, can really hear and understand who Jesus is and what he's saying is if God opens our eyes, if God heals our spiritual deafness. You know, when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, he's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. That we need God and his spirit to unclog our ears, to soften our hearts, to respond to him and enter and live in the kingdom. All right, so if this is about God's sovereignty, if, if we cannot be a part of God's kingdom unless God opens our ears, how is it that, I mean, why, why am I saying that we need to fight? <laughs> why am I saying that we need to fight in order to be able to hear? If, if it's about God doing something, what am I supposed to do then? Um, I think it urges us to assume the posture of all of those who fought their way to Jesus for healing, right? Jesus made a reference earlier in this passage about how he was, uh, he was healing the blind and the deaf, right? Causing the lame to walk, lepers to be cleansed. He was raising the dead. Jesus was healing people all over the place, healing all sorts of diseases, how did people respond to Jesus' healing? They fought to go see him because they recognized that he was their only hope. They made every effort to fight through the crowd. You know, the woman who was bleeding for, for years and years, what did she do? She fought through the crowd in order to just touch him because she knew that he alone had the power to heal her. And that is what I mean when I say we have to fight to be able to, to, to hear. We need to fight to get to Jesus because he, is, he alone is the one that can, that can give us spiritual hear, hearing and spiritual sight. We need to make every effort to get to Jesus, to touch him. That means we need to spend time begging him in prayer. Jesus, open my eyes 
help me to see. We need to spend time just, you know, wrestling with his word. Show me more of you, Jesus. Heal me. Give me life. Because you alone can do it. And so we need to fight to get to him. As those who know we have nothing apart from him. This is the prescription for, for doubt that he gives us. We need to focus on the person of Jesus, who he is. We need to, we need to f- focus on the resurrection and the cross. These historical facts. We need to fight. We need to fight through our own sin and our own offense. We need to fight to, to trust in Jesus that he alone can make us who we're called to be. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. Um, I pray right now for those here who are struggling to believe. I know that there are at least a few of us here who are struggling to believe that you even exist, that any of this really even makes a difference, who are struggling to believe that you really love them. Father, we pray that you would open their eyes that you would open their ears to hear the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news, that, that, that you have come and lived and died and risen so that they might have life. Father, we pray that you would, that you would break through our doubts. Father, we pray for others here who are, who are even just struggling today to, to believe that, that you are working and that you care and that you're sovereign. Father, we pray that you would help us Help us to look to Jesus to be encouraged in our faith. Father, we pray for those of us who are here this morning who who are confident, who are believing in you today. Father, we pray that you would help us not to forget to continually come back to Jesus for those moments when we find ourselves in the dark and and we're wondering. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to meet Jesus, I mean, this is one of the things that we're doing. Uh, we're, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus here at the Lord's table. We're 